Right, I'm sorry that I can't be with you in person this morning, but as has probably been explained, I'm currently coming towards the end of uh, self-isolation, having tested positive for COVID. Continuing in our series, looking at how grace changes everything, and moving on from where Sam looked at the heart, and last week Pete looked at idols which can get in the way of our heart being focused fully on Jesus into looking at how community is the context for change. We've already looked at the early Christian community before Christmas, looking at Acts chapter 2 and what they devoted themselves to. So I'm not going to be going over those points. But what I want to do is start from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10 where we can see how Peter describes the early church. And this is what he said of those who were Christians. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. <coughs> Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, as Peter expresses it. But notice this, which explains how we are born again, and to be born is an individual experience. But notice, having received God's mercy, all the images Peter uses now are plural. He talks about them being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We proclaim God's excellence as a community. Three hours before I prepared this, Terry Verger helped me out with a quote by tweeting, True Christian fellowship, openness, honesty, vulnerability are all necessary to bring you to maturity. We were never meant to do Christianity alone. Get close to other believers. Don't simply attend the same building. In Tim Keller's guide to the uh, Grace Changes Everything course, which we're using lifting ideas from, he quotes from uh, the University of Princeton's Robert uh, Woodnow, who has found that small groups mainly provide occasions for individuals to focus on themselves in the presence of others. Hopefully we're not as fully affected by American culture as that would ex express, but we are to some extent. The question is, when we meet together in growth groups, when we meet together as a church, are we there mainly to focus on ourselves with other people present, or are we there to build up a community? Because if we just are there to focus on ourselves, all we're doing is building ourselves up in our own self-image. If, however, we want the gospel to change us, we need to be in community. 
so that we relate to others for their sake, not ours. How? We do that often in the phrase used in the Gospels of one another. I'm going to go through some of those verses now, but don't worry if you can't keep up, because either Sam will have got them a list printed out for you to check as I go through, or uh, we can send it out by email. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul says this, Outdo one another in showing honour. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 he says, Through love serve one another. Interestingly, this is in the context of being called to freedom. We're called to freedom so we can serve one another. 1 Peter, later in the letter I've already referred to, chapter 4 and verse 9, says, show hospitality to one another. Back with Paul in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 11, he says, encourage one another and build one another up. In Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And going on, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. A few verses later, he says, teach one another, admonishing one another in all wisdom. In Romans 13 verse 8, love one another. And in the same letter, chapter 12, verse 15, weep with those who weep. So these are all things which we do together. We cannot do these things on our own. So by being in community, we can be built up in the way which God intends us to. Most, almost all the ones I found when I was looking these up are positive. But James in chapter 5 and verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another. This is in the context of being patient. In fact, uh, the earlier reference with uh, Peter where he said show hospitality to one another, he also says that without grumbling. I don't know about you, but grumble is, I find it's an interesting word. It's one of these words where the whole sound of it almost uh, gives you an image of what it's about. When Lynn and I were chatting about this uh, a bit earlier today, she commented that one of the hardest things she found when we returned from Kenya to this country was the grumbling. Compared to Kenya where people had so little and were thankful, here we had so much but grumbled. And she did confirm that she's now well reacclimatized uh, to our culture and grumbles well. But if you're not tempted to grumble, you're not really involved enough in the church community. Looks like 
in the scriptures telling us not to grumble. I don't know if it's a general European issue, but it's certainly an issue for us in our country. So when we are tempted to grumble, why is that? Is it because things aren't working the way we want them to? Is it because our focus is on ourselves rather than on what God is doing, what God wants? Or what's best for the community? When I was thinking about uh, today's uh, sermon, one thing which came to me is how much do we expect when we come on a Sunday to a service for us to leave thinking that we've got a lot out of it. Now, I trust that you do. And I'd be a bit worried if you came to a service and there was absolutely nothing you gained from it. But sometimes the main thing God could be doing for his Holy Spirit in the service is nothing to do with you. It could be for somebody else. God could be saying something to a person which they needed to hear now and which for you is something you know or just not relevant to you at the moment. One thing I've noticed also is that often God doesn't work in us immediately. One of the things we were asked to do to one another was admonish one another in wisdom. Now, I have to confess that I am not good at being admonished. I don't think any of us are. It attacks our pride. We want to think that we're the ones who know how to do things best, how to do things well. And I think when I look back, the times when God has used peoples to admonish me, most frequently the effect has not been quick. I realise the benefit of the admonishment months, possibly even years later. So let's not have a short-term perspective looking for everything to be immediate, looking for everything to be about us. God is at work in his community. He's at work in his church. Some things happen quickly. Some things which are deep-rooted, God has to take a long-term view, which he does, and work at us on them. And so we should be willing to let God work at us, both in the short term and in the long term. And if we can't see things working their way out immediately, let's continue to trust God that he will do what is good for us and for his church. Now, I've kept my sermon today because 
fairly brief. There's lots I could expand on. Obviously, it's up to Pete and Sam to decide what to do next. But if you've got the sheet, it might be a good idea to have a look through it. Maybe with a few other people. If not now, some other time. And think, what things can I contribute? What things don't I value? What things do I need God to work at me so I do value? We have many, many benefits together as a community. And we, many ways we work well as a community. But let's remember this is the way God works in us to change us, to make us more like his son. What I'll be doing next week is looking at how we as a community witness to the society around us. What being a community means to the rest of Faversham, what it means to the rest of the world. So this week, let's see how can we support one another, benefit one another as a community, and especially watch out for the temptation to grumble and do not. Thank you.